Buenas tardes. Me llamo Brett. Bienvenidos a nuestras... Oh, gosh. Casa. Good afternoon. My name is Brett. Welcome to this house. We're happy to see you, but especially our guests. Glad to have you here. We're going to continue our series on small groups and the motivation behind why we need to be a people that are interested in being with one another and connecting on a relational level. So turn with me over to Romans chapter 15. We're going to take up Paul's discourse with the Romans with respect to how much they need to support one another. The title of this message is Bearing Others, Bearing Others. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Paul says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. Verse 3, For Christ, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance... And the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, verse 6, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as we study. Paul's trying to figure out how he can get people to stay together and not be divided over trivial differences. If you look at the preceding chapter, Paul is talking about how some people have faith that is very strong and some people have faith that is very weak. And he related it to how they viewed food, that some people believed some food was inedible whether it was sacrificed to an idol or whether it was unclean. The idol made it unclean, and whether it fit in the category outside of the Jewish tradition, that made it unclean. And he said people with faith who believed that God could not, God could not make all food that which could be ingestible and thereby not make the person who ingested it either righteous or unrighteous in having done so, those people seem to have faith that is less than than others. Because Paul said, I realize there are no such things as other gods. They do not exist. Therefore, if somebody has sacrificed a prime rib to Zeus, I have no problem ingesting that at all. That was Paul's tenet. But he said, I am not going to superimpose my idea of freedom upon somebody else who has a conviction about it what they believe with respect to that meat and then call them less than because they don't hold to my conviction I'm going to allow the strength that I have in my own standard to be that which helps to support the unity rather than divide us therefore I'm not going to weaken that person who already has faith that is less than by constantly pounding him with my strength I know God says this is fine. What's wrong with you? Why don't you see it like me? Something's wrong with you. Or the reverse. What is wrong with you? Why are you eating that? You cannot be righteous if you continue to eat that food. 
Now, can you imagine what potlucks were like between Gentiles and Jews? We Gentiles would bring chitlins. Some of y'all Gentiles wouldn't even eat that. Chitlins, alligator, shrimp, lobster, pork ribs. Well, we'd have a time. And then the, the, the Jews would bring goat and lamb and all things that were kosher. And they'd set up on opposite sides of the church building. One not fellowshipping with another. And Paul is saying, wait a minute, don't we have many more issues about which to discuss the McDonald's or Burger King? I mean, are we really going to really let dinner divide us? Really? Are, and this is why he says, the kingdom of God is not about eat or drink. But it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. And so he concludes Romans 14 with that kind of exhortation, moving into Romans 15, though he did not write in chapters, he wrote in thought. And that's where he says now, if you have a strength, don't use it just to be standing strong. Don't use it to justify your position all the time and prove how right you are before God. Use your strength to somehow bring unity to the body and strengthen those who might find themselves not near as strong in the area where you are. I want to talk to you about four things here. One, what it means to strengthen the weak. Two, how we satisfy our neighbor. Three, what it means to self-discover hope. And four, how to sustain unity. And all of this within the context of doing it with other people. And that's why small groups are so important. Because it's life done with others. That's all it is. Whether they be believers or unbelievers. Life done with others. Orchestrated artificial moments for you to get together with other people so organic stuff can happen. And the reason we orchestrate these, these moments? Because generally you don't do it yourself. If you would just spontaneously... Every Wednesday, call people up to your house and just say, hey, let's do a spontaneous party. Wait a minute. We did this last week spontaneously. Yeah, I know. It's re-spontaneous. And we're going to re-spontaneous it next week, too. It just doesn't happen like that unless somebody orchestrates it so that organic life can happen. And when you get with people... In the same room and you begin to, to discuss spiritual things and, and, and somebody adds something that you didn't know and then you get to add some, something they didn't know and all of a sudden you pray with one another and you serve one another. Something about your weakness or somebody else's weakness begins to supply whatever, uh, uh, begins to be supplied by whatever strength that is in the room. Paul says, do not use your strength for your own self. He says, use it to supply help to others. You've been spiritually lifting weights. Don't pose in the mirror. It's not so you can see how big your biceps are. If you are spiritually strong, it's not so that you can just provide for your own. Oh, if you've been, if you've been obeying God, he's been blessing you. He's been pouring out goodness on you. I did the third service over at Dominion today, and I was talking with some of the gentlemen who were driving me. And I said, so how's your business going? He said, fabulous. It's going great. I just, I just had people come in me here, and the business is turning around. He said, I just got, another, got, got a whole other contract here, so I'm secure for another year. He's a consultant. I said, that's great. That's great. Now, I've been working. I've been knowing these guys, and, and they've been serving me, and I've been working with them for three years. And every time I hear them, they got something new great that's happening. Great. 
The Lord has blessed them from the time they came into this house in ways like they hadn't imagined and provided for them beautifully. But they are using the strength of that provision just to provide for themselves. They're saying, God, what can I do to advance your kingdom? In the areas where there is lack, how can I provide? Financially, physically with my support and strength, mentally with my wisdom to people who have issues and don't know what to do. How can I provide wisdom there? What can I do, Lord? We're not just to please ourselves. And if we were to, to, to replay the videotape in our own minds about what we think about regularly, it, it would either be, be, be scary or just concerning because 90% of the thoughts you have were about you how you're gonna get a new job how you need more money I need to help your kids how to get your marriage right how to find a husband how to find a wife most of it is about you and it's not that your needs don't need tending to it's just that it's very telling about how you use your your faith your relationship with God and that most of the energy that you expend is about getting your needs met. And I'm just as guilty. I've got to intentionally think farther. Now, I'm in a position where I have to consider you, and I put myself in a place where I intentionally am bearing burdens beyond my own sphere, and, and that's good. But I still have to train myself in my own personal devotional life to go beyond the words that I have that are printed on a page that are, that are wrote for me every day about what I need to pray for in my family and my my finances and my health and my future all those things and make sure that I am now praying for beyond me and all of the friends out there in my every nation world and the rest of the body of Christ and the Washington Redskins in my city I've got to be thinking about that regularly no I'm not talking about them winning <laughs> I'm chaplain of the team so I got to pray for them bigger thinking bigger not using my strength for my gain and believing God that he can supply for me as I supply for others. Yes. That's the way he wants us. Paul does. God does. Wants us to think. If you are strong, it is not so you can enjoy your strength and the benefits that come thereof. You are strong to help somebody else who is weak. That's why you're strong. And consider it a privilege to do so every day and not a burden. Secondly, we are to satisfy our neighbor. Now, Paul uses the word here, please. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his own good and for his own edification or building up. So we are to use our strength to supply in areas of weakness and we are to please our neighbor and not just live for ourselves. Now, the word please there, and I, I normally, I, I'm, not, I'm not a big practitioner of using the Greek to explain things to you. Um, it's not that I don't want to, it's just that I don't have time most of the time with an hour service. You just don't have time to get into the Greek. But today it's going to be a lot of fun. The other reason is that you always have to be concerned about when you go back to the original meaning of a particular word, whether it be Greek or Hebrew. And this is a little lesson for you, FYI. Sometimes the, the root of the Greek word doesn't mean exactly what the word was meaning when the writer chose to use it. So the word may have been invented a thousand years before Paul wrote it. 
And the root may give you some indication as to why the word came into being, but the usage of it has changed during that time, just like words we use today in English, i.e., <clears throat> the word goodbye. Goodbye is a shortened derivative of an old English term that was used to say a blessing to people. It was God be with you. So as they would leave, they would say God be with you. Now, if we were to use some of the same tech techniques that some folk do to try to determine what somebody was really saying when they said this Greek word, and we did it in the English, we would have to say this. Oh, that means that when every American says goodbye, they must be a believer because they mean God be with you. When they don't mean that at all because the word has changed. Are you understanding? So you have to be very careful that you make sure that the word as you derive it from the original, wherever the root was, is actually used in that context when it is written by Paul or Peter or anybody else in Scripture. Here it fits. The word is aresco for please. Each one ought to please his neighbor. And aresco means to satisfy with moral intent. So when Paul was talking about pleasing, pleasing one another's neighbors, he wasn't saying just bring a smile to their face by if they're hungry, feeding them. Because that supplies a physical need, but it doesn't touch any of the morality that might need to change in their soul. So that's why whenever we give physically, such as our, our August, Christmas in August for our orphans, it's not just giving stuff for them to celebrate on, on Christmas. And we, it, it's a supply beyond just Christmas, believe me. We're not just giving toys. We're giving things that they can wear in, in July. But we are giving it to people who are ministering to their soul so that this is an accentuation materially that somehow has the message wrapped in it and gets down to their heart. So every time they put on their, those shoes, they realize somebody loves them and that somebody is not only God, but it's people in America who are helping them become something that they never could be on their own by materially and physically tying themselves to them relationally. This is what it means. To satisfy your neighbor. So if you're going to do something to help, you don't just give food. You give the gospel with food. If you're going to do something to help in their marriage, you don't just give, give good counsel with respect. to You know, you need to stop cheating around. No, you need to repent. You need to repent. Now, you do it with great kindness. I'm doing it with some forthrightness this morning because I'm preaching. You don't do it like I do it. But you do it with such a way that you actually come out with the result that their soul has been fortified and they have been moved down the road of the kingdom. That's how you please your neighbor. It says, to their good. And that good is, is really a moral good. It's the word ag agathos. Now, the next term he uses here, and to their edification, where they're building up, is beautiful. It's a lot of fun. The, the term is oikodome. Oikodome. Oiko, two different words now that have been put together by Paul. Oiko means house. Dome means home. It's where we get the word in English, domicile. Now you could describe a home by saying it's our oiko. And you can describe a home by saying it's a dome. But it's much like house and home for us. They are synonyms that can be described and used interchangeably of the same thing. But when you describe them together, it means this. That when you are oikodomain something, you are actually encouraging somebody to such a degree that you are recognizing they already have something that is built and now you are putting something on top of it. 
Dome means to build on top of when it's combined with oiko. It means that you are actually building something on top of the house that already exists. So that when you are, when you are bringing your strength to somebody else's weakness, it's not just about supplying the need of the moment. It's about supplying more space for them to live. Building something so that when you walk away, they've got some more room to move around in their house. You've encouraged them to such a degree that they have become bigger on the inside and now can do more than they ever could do because you strengthen them in their area of weakness. Are you? Are you mm, I don't know. I don't know. You know how they have these cards where they judge folk that are doing a good job? You don't have those, but I have one. I'm going to judge y'all as being a good audience today. And then he says, for not even Christ pleased himself. Not even Christ pleased himself. But he decided to take the reproaches that were directed toward God and bring them on himself. That the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Another way of putting it, the issues of those who had issues that were, were directed towards you, I have taken upon myself. We get to identify with Jesus whenever we supply strength to other people's weakness. Think about it for a minute. It says that not even Christ pleased himself. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 14. Talk about the man or woman who pleases God by obedience. And it says, when the man or woman who pleases God with obedience, when they do this regularly, it says that, that God will bless them when they rise. He will bless them when they sit, when they're lying down, when they come in, when they go out, in the field, in the city. Their cupboards will be blessed. Their cattle will not miscarry. Their flocks will not miscarry. He will bless them in all that they do. And it will be the kind of blessing that pours upon them in such a way that they can't contain it. That's what God said he would do for those who obey him to the uttermost. Is there anybody who would have been more blessed than Jesus? Tell me what you think about his carpentry business just for a minute. Do you think it was fairly prosperous? Do you think maybe he had some good stewardship principles and understood the working of the wood primarily because he made the trees from which they came? Do you think he had some good stewardship principles with respect to management and he hired other people? Do you think it was just him in a house? Or maybe he had one of the largest businesses in all of Galilee. That he was a manager of people who knew how to make wood and he taught them what it meant to make a chair. And, and by the way, would you want a chair made by anybody else? <laughs> you get my point. Not only would he have been blessed just by obedience, but he would have been blessed because he had a work ethic that was perfectly in parallel to what God intended a man to do when he said, work. Jesus would have had more resources and more money in the 18 years from, 30, from 18 to 30 than probably anyone in the carpentry business in all of Israel's history. Wealthy. Not only that, he was blessed relationally. He was blessed with the ability to see and hear things he'd never seen and heard before. He had a relationship with God that was amazing. I mean, nobody would have been more blessed than Jesus. And yet he said, see all these people with issues out here? 
I'm going to take those issues and throw them on myself. I'm going to intentionally enlarge the capacity of my soul and rather than just enjoy the blessings that could come to me as a result of obedience to you, Father, I'm going to take the burdens of people who don't know how to get to you and I'm going to take them upon myself so they can. He chose not to please himself. Every day of his life was geared toward the three and a half years of ministry in that cross that he might take all the reproach of mankind, the results and consequences of sin upon himself. He chose not to take his strength and make his own self happy. He chose to use his strength to make us happy. We get to identify with Christ. And the starting place is the organic stuff that happens in small groups. Is this the only place where it could happen? Absolutely not. But it's the place that we are orchestrating so that it can happen most easily with you. We're begging you to do this. Not just for you, because remember, you've got some weaknesses that need to be supplied by somebody else's strength. But you've also got some strength that somebody needs because they've got weaknesses. And when you don't show up, somebody's weakness remains. Are you listening to me? This is not just about getting your need met. It's about how much do you care about the rest of the body. When you don't show, somebody's weakness remains. Somebody's burden is still theirs to carry and theirs to carry alone. When are we going to let the reproach of mankind become ours? The difficulties, the issues, the consequences of their own sin. When are we going to be like Christ and bear them on our shoulders that they might be free? God help us. This is what Paul is talking about. And, and then, then he says, these things, these things that were written in earlier times, they were written... That through the perseverance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might find hope. This is where we get the the privilege of discovering hope. And it must be a self-discovery. Hope is, is, is a lot like a balloon filled with helium. You got to hold on to it or else it'll float away. It's given by God. But if you don't hold on to it, It goes up and it's gone. It's not that God won't resupply, but you don't want to lose that which he has given. you got to hold on to it. Everything in this world says it's not going to happen. The circumstances of your life tell you every day, you're not going to fulfill the will of God. Your marriage is lost. Your kid's lost. You're raised at two years old. You're looking at your little one throw a temper tantrum and say, you're raising a criminal. That's what you think. You're raising a criminal. How, how is this going to ever work? God, help, please. Please, Lord, help, please. The enemy tells you every day it's not going to happen. You're going you're to suffer the pains of every parent that goes through teenage years, except it's going to be worse with you. He tells you this all the time. He tells you that your business is going to fail, that you're not going to have money. You can't give that because you need that there. And if you give that there, you'll never have what you need. He tells you all this all the time because he wants you to release hope. He wants you to let go of the balloon. Now, when you hold on to the balloon, this is what you need to have. Two things, perseverance and the encouragement from Scripture. Those two things allow you the privilege of coming to seeing hope realized. 
perseverance is that stuff that just says, I consider quit a four-letter word. I'm just not going to say it. Not a part of my vocabulary. Doesn't matter how big the mountain is. Doesn't matter how much jungle I have to cut through with a machete. Doesn't matter how long the road is. Doesn't matter how deep the water is. I'm going to not quit and go through to the other side. God told me this was supposed to happen in my life. He told me my marriage was supposed to be this way. He told me my kids were supposed to be this way. He told me my church was, my friends, he told me. I don't see it. It doesn't look right. But I'm not letting go of hope. So I choose with one hand to hold on to hope and the other to cut through the jungle until I reach the other side. That's the way we've got to be every day. We have to persevere. We can't just give in to what the natural says. Natural changes all the time. All the signs that are in the natural will tell you to go this way and then that way and this way and that way and then just finally quit. You have to hold on to what God said. Abraham was an amazing man. But most of y'all don't know nothing about him. Because you don't read your Bible. You don't read your Bible. Oh, you've heard about Father Abraham maybe in a song you sang when you were seven. But you don't know anything about him. And so, even though I, I tell you about the perseverance that you need to have to get to the other side and hold on to hope, you, you, you miss the tandem that's the required prescription for you to retain hope. It's not just perseverance. It's not just the obligatory get up and don't quit. It's also reading the scriptures, the encouragement that comes from scriptures. Reading it every day of your life to say, God, I, I see you did it with them. Therefore, you're no respecter of person. You can do it with me. If I believe you like they did, you'll do the same thing with me. So you don't know anything about Abram because you don't read your Bible. You need to read your Bible every day. Every day you need to read your Bible. Especially on the days when you don't feel like it. And you need to keep reading it, especially after the days you've tried to get through numbers. And so-and-so begat so-and-so, who 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 begat so And you're sitting there, do I really, do I really need, can I just skip over this? I know it's the word of God and I'm trying to be respectful, but hey, really? Come on now. <laughs> Let me tell you what numbers is and why God did that. It is the chronological log, the genealogical log, that proves that so-and-so has a right to the promised land. They're able to trace back their parents all the way to the, the slave days of Egypt and bring it right to the days of the promised land. And so they, they excuse, excuse me, my name's right here, right here, right here. Jo Joshua Bell, that's me, that's me right here. So I get this piece of property. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm part of the tribe of Judah, and I'm, I'm over here. You got it. Now, it's also the Old Testament version of the book of life and the book of Revelation. You want somebody to skip over your name? I'm just asking. Anybody want somebody to skip over your name? The book of life is the name in which every saint, somebody who's been redeemed, is in. Your name is there. I don't think any of us want to be skipped over when the thing's read. It's important 
for you to know why it's important to read these things. But even when you don't know, just read it. Sometimes it's boring. I get that. I mean, the Holy Spirit opens up stuff to me on a regular basis. For that, I'm grateful. But listen to me. The Holy Spirit doesn't open up the Bible to me simply because I read it that day. I'm getting insight today because I read 20 years ago. Are you listening to me? I'm building on that which was boring 20 years ago. I didn't understand it just like you. 30 years ago, I said, what does this mean? I don't get this. I have to call people up, my discipler. What, what in the world is this? Why did Jesus call Peter Satan? Are you kidding me? What does that mean? I was asking questions just like you do. Why did that happen? And I just kept reading and kept reading and kept reading until I became the guy that everybody came to and said, why did Jesus call Peter Satan? There's nothing fun for a stonemason about putting one brick upon another. He doesn't get excited. There's no party after he puts the cement down and then puts another brick. Woo! <laughs> see that? You see that brick? Woo! <laughs> and then some more cement. Nothing. It's mundane. Very pedestrian and ordinary. But after about four months, he looks back and says, I got a house to live in. I'm glad I didn't stop three months ago. And some of y'all are wondering, how come I don't have a spiritual house to live in? Why isn't my life near as secure as it should be? Why don't I have hope? Because you haven't built anything. Every day of your life, you get in that Bible and start with the purple book. If you don't know what that is, go ask an usher. It's our biblical foundations book that allows people to understand how you build your life from the ground up. Twelve studies that are absolutely essential for your progress. And if you don't build a great foundation, you will not have a great house. Oh, it might look good, but a storm's coming right around the corner that will knock your house off a foundation that is not laid. You have to lay a foundation well. You've got to read your Bible. Because when you read about Abraham, who did not have any reason to believe other than what God said, had no reason to believe at all that he was going to have a baby. You've got to know how he worked through that. At the age of 75, with his wife at 65, they having been barren all their lives, never had a baby. God comes to him and says, you will have a child. Abram says he believes God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 85 rolls around, no baby. She's 75. 95 rolls around, she's 85. Every day that goes passes, that biological clock just keeps ticking, and it seems naturally that they are further away from the possibility of them being able to do what God said. Yet it says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham grew strong in faith. That in hope against natural hope, he believed God, and the Lord credited to him as righteousness. 
It is vital that we understand that natural hope naturally flies away. But when you have a hope that is grounded in God's word, there is not a circumstance around that should be able to make your hands get slick. To make them open. You hold on to that balloon and you do not let it go. White knuckle, if you will, even though that doesn't work for black folk. It doesn't. Our knuckles don't turn white. Ninety-nine, God comes to him and says, you're going to have a baby. Even though Abraham had believed the entire time, and his wife was 89, it says he laughed and so did she. Just had a moment, just a moment. <laughs> you got to be... <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Me, her, have you seen grandma? Have you seen grandma? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Hundred rolled around with her being 90, had a baby. Sometimes God is just setting you up for a testimony. Not a testimony for you, although it will be a testimony for you, but making you the testimony. That's why you just don't. See, you got to read the Bible to understand that there were people who went through. You are the first. And if you will persevere and make a dedication to not quit and combine that, couple that with the reading of Scripture on a regular basis, you will never let go of hope. Because no matter how long it takes, as long as you draw breath, he will do it. Whatever he says, he will do. And if he has to extend your life in order to make it happen, he will do that. Because he who promised is faithful. And then lastly, sustain unity. Remember, Paul's trying to figure out how to keep the body together. They were all split because of dinner. And now he's, he's doing his best to try to make them understand we need to be one. He says, if we will do all this, if we will strengthen one another, if we will practically help one another and supply to one another's weaknesses and, 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 and make Christ our example who could have used his own strength for his own gain but decided to take on the burdens of everybody else. If we will do that, let me tell you what will happen. The God who then grants perseverance and encouragement, he will make sure that we get the privilege of glorifying with one accord our Father with one voice. There will be a sound that comes from us, not just me, not just you. Christianity is so individualistic. Not Christianity itself. Our Christianity is so individualistic, especially Western. We usually read the Bible to see what we can get out of it, not what we can get out of it. What me can get out of it. Example. Give me the first word of the Lord's Prayer. Pardon me? Mm -hmm. When have you ever prayed that with somebody? It's a corporate prayer. Doesn't start with my. It's our. When have you ever sat down and prayed that with somebody? I haven't met many Americans except football teams who pray before and after games. I haven't met many American Christians who have ever sat down with another Christian and began to pray the Lord's Prayer. Not many. 
Most of them, it's been an, especially in the Catholic world. The priest tells them, go pray for our fathers and seven Hail Marys. Well, where's the other person I'm supposed to pray with, with the Our Father? It's a corporate prayer. But our minds have so wrapped the individualism of our own culture in Christianity that whenever we read the scriptures, it's mostly about me, not about us. And Paul says, I'm trying to get the glorify God with one accord thing going on. Not just one person beginning to glorify God, but everybody. As a result of you supplying your strength to somebody else's weakness, then not only will they begin to glorify God for the answer to prayer, but then it will be a combination because you will see how you've identified with Christ and now brought somebody else to a brand new spot. And you could have only done it had you had a relationship with God. Had you not, you could not have done it. So he's the one who supplied the strength. You're glorifying him. She, he's glorifying him. More people that hear about it glorify and God gets glory. It's a corporate thing. The body gets built up, one accord, one voice, one mind, that we might glorify our Father in heaven. And that's the ultimate goal of man, ladies and gentlemen, is to glorify him. That's our ultimate goal, is to glorify him. And I don't know why we want to find a new way to do it. We want to write our own script on how to glorify. Lord, if you'll make me a famous singer... If you'll let me have a number one hit, I will glorify you. Yes, I will. I will take, when I get my Grammy, I will glorify you. I will glorify. I will honor. You help me be MVP Super Bowl, man. I will glorify you on that TV. I promise you. We want a new way. We want to write our own script about how glorification is supposed to be given to God. When he's, he said it, this is how it happens right here. One person's strength added to another person's weakness. Solutions come. Everybody praises. And the body's benefited and tied together more. No superstars. One body. No one generation wonders. The entire church rising up to a new level and becoming what it should be. That's Paul's passion. May it be yours. Let's pray.